For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you have, uh, do you have a favorite tree? I have a favorite tree. I don't know if there's a, there we go. That's my favorite tree. Uh, that tree is close to where I live. Uh, if you were to take 3rd Avenue over there all the way north till it dead ends at 145th, and then instead of going straight into the country club, which won't let you in, by the way, uh, you take a left into what looks like a little gravel driveway, but it's actually a little parking lot for a green space called Landover Woods. And it's this little valley that has been preserved uh, with some amazing trees and thick foliage and this morning I I walked there I took this picture this morning and the chorus of the birds was just it was beautiful it was amazing and this is my favorite tree if you take the lower path you'll walk down and it's hard to see from this angle but it starts off as one really solid trunk branches quickly into two and then you can see it just keeps going and it's I mean it's a little bit uh, comical actually to show this sort of pathetic picture from my cell phone to try to capture the majesty of this tree. It's easily over 100 feet tall and just, you can't really tell where the leaves end, right? It, it, and it does something to me every time I, I walk by it. It kind of makes me pause and stop. Um, so you should go up to Landover Woods and try to find this tree. I'll give you a high five if you do. Um, whenever I come across this tree, I think one of the reasons why it, it sort of gives me pause uh, and it stops me in my tracks is because it reminds me of all of the language in scripture that's plant-based and tree-based, which is a lot. Uh, this seems to be one of the primary metaphors used for our relationship to God. This metaphor of a plant or a tree or a vine, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He also says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Paul describes what that fruit is, the fruit of the spirit, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are, this just seems like the best metaphor that the biblical writers could come up with to describe how our relationship with God is supposed to work. This sense that we are in God the way that a plant is, is in the ground with its roots, or the way that sap flows through a tree and then brings life to the ends of the branches with leaves or fruit. It's part of our passage today. Uh, Paul, you just heard me read, speaks of being rooted and established in love. Rooted and established. And I, I, this tr- I, I read that and I thought, that's what this tree is. It is rooted and established. And because of that, 
It's beautiful. So as you go throughout your days, throughout your weeks, you come across a green thing, a growing thing. First of all, you should be grateful that it helps convert carbon dioxide into oxygen through photosynthesis and helps us breathe. That's part of why God has made green things. Uh, But also, let it remind you of, of what the nature of our relationship with God is. That we are rooted and established in love. So, we've been walking through Ephesians, and we come this morning to the end of chapter 3. We've been talking about Ephesians uh, primarily as, uh, through the, 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 the two lenses of our identity and our mission. That this book is written to establish in us what our identity is in Christ, and then to describe to us people whose identity is in Christ. This is what their lives look like. This is what it looks like to live on mission with God as someone who's rooted and established in God. And now we have, we have not even got yet to the part about what life looks like. These entire first three chapters are all devoted to what is our identity in Christ. And uh, really, all that we've heard, by and large, has been Paul describing Christ. Here's what Christ is like. Here's what Christ has done for you. And this is where our sense of identity comes from. So it's not even so much this description of, of who we are. It's a description of who Christ is, what Christ has done. And if we are rooted in that, then our identity is secure. And then it's out of that that we can, we can live, out of that strong sense of who we are in Christ. These words are far more important than my words. So I want to read the passage one more time, just so we have it in our minds. If you have a Bible and you want to read along, if you want to close your eyes and just listen to it, that's probably more likely how the, uh, the Ephesians would have first heard it as written or as read out loud to them. Or you can follow along on the screen. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is one of the best passages in all of scripture. And I know I've said that several times as we've been going through Ephesians. It's just true. Uh, So Paul begins this passage by saying, for this reason. And if you remember last week, that's how he began last week's passage as well, at the beginning of the chapter. And then he interrupted himself, and he's like, wait, i got to talk about the mysterious plan of God and how it's been revealed in Christ. And so he kind of, it's hard to call anything in Scripture a rabbit trail, but he interrupts himself to talk about uh, the mysterious plan of God, how it's been revealed in Christ. And then now he comes back, and he's like, oh yeah, this is where I was. For this reason, I bow before the Father in heaven from whom every family gets its name. The for this reason part 
really is referring back to everything that he's brought us through in the first couple chapters of Ephesians. Everything that he has, all the ways that he's described Christ and Christ's work. He's reflecting on all of it, on on this mysterious plan, the plan to bring Jews and Gentiles, God's chosen people and the nations, all together into a new humanity, into the church. Breaking down dividing walls between humanity and God and between fellow humans. Uh, he's, He's looking back at the marvelous grace of God, which saves us not by anything that we have done, but simply as a gracious gift. He's looking back at Christ who not only lived and died, but also is ascended to heaven and sits uh, in a place of power and authority. He's reflecting on all of this, and he just crumples to the ground in worship and prayer. Uh, He does a similar thing in the book of Romans, where he spends 11 chapters, about 11 chapters, talking about God's marvelous grace and also about our incredible brokenness and the, the need for God's salvation that we and all of creation has. Then he makes this turn in uh, chapter 12. You might be familiar with this verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? In view of God's mercy, right? Looking back over all that we have talked about with God's, how, God, how merciful God is, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable, your spiritual act of worship. So there's this, these turns that Paul often makes that he's making here from reflecting on how good God is to us how much he loves us in Christ and all of the benefits that we receive in Christ. Because of that, in view of that, remembering all of that, live this way. That's where we're going next week, but we're not there yet. Right now, we're just marveling at the merciful grace of God. Watchman Nee was a a Chinese pastor uh, in the 30s uh, who was a part of this, this growth of uh, indigenous Chinese churches. And he wrote a number of books. Some of them are kind of his, his sermon notes and sermons compiled together. But he wrote a very short, beautiful book that's a reflection on the book of Ephesians called Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, Walk, Stand. Which sounds a little to our ears like ready, fire, aim. Right, it's a little out of order. Sit. We would, if we were writing it, we would say sit, stand, walk. I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> sit, stand, walk. That seems to be the normal progression. But he says no. In Ephesians, the progression we find here is sit, walk, stand. And he takes these postures as sort of summaries of these sections of Ephesians. And these first, this first three chapters is about sitting. Not working, not walking, not do, just sitting. Being seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is reflecting on all the work God has done for us. We don't need to bring anything. In fact, we can't bring anything to offer. We simply sit and receive. Then we walk. So this is, this is our life lived in the world. This, out of this uh, Rest out of this place of just sitting and receiving. We, we walk and we relate to each other and we work and we love and we serve. And then finally, uh, he addresses our conflict with the devil. And he says, you're not to either fear the devil nor are you to be overly aggressive. You simply stand firm. He's already been defeated in Christ. And so standing firm is how you relate to the devil coming out of this place of seeing. So sit, walk, stand. Here we are 
at the end of this entire three-chapter section on sitting. And uh, in, in Nee's book, um, he, he talks about how Christ, you know, Paul's reflecting all about what Christ has done for us, that he has uh, been raised to the heavenly realms and that he brings us with him. We experience the resurrection power of Christ because Christ has gone before us into death, into resurrection. And Christ has gone all the way to be seated at the right hand of God, and he brings us with him. We are seated at God's right hand. That, that's the, the language of uh, Ephesians 2. And uh, in, in, in these interpretation, that there, there's this progression. And so the, this sense of our sitting, this is where we begin. This is the beginning of the Christian journey. It's simply in rest. Right? When you sit, you are putting your weight on something else that holds you up. You're all experiencing this right now. Right? Something is holding you up. You're not having to expend energy. The seed is doing that for you. To begin with, we cease our own striving, our own working. To begin with, we surrender. This is the beginning place for our walk with Christ. Paul's prayer is simply that we would see what is true, that we would have our eyes enlightened, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would see ourselves seated with Christ, that we would see what is true about us, and that this is where we would get our identity. This is where we would know who we are, that we are in Christ and all that that means. In this passage, he talks about, I pray that you would grasp how, how wide and high and vast is God's love, right? He describes God's love as this kind of all-encompassing love that surrounds us before and above. Uh, it, it reminds me of, of the psalm that we read at the call to worship, Psalm 139, where the psalmist is reflecting on, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You, are, you hem me in behind and before, right? I can't escape this. And uh, I was thinking that this is it's kind of a little play on words here that Paul's doing where he's talking about grasping, apprehending this love that grasps us, that apprehends us. That's what Paul's prayer for the church is. That we would experience and know this grasping love, this sense of safety and security, that that's where the Christian walk starts. Sitting, resting, Receiving, that's another posture for the beginning of the Christian walk, right? It's, it's like a banquet where you're sitting and everything's been provided for you. That's another metaphor that the Bible uses often to talk about what it is to be part of the family of God, is that we are at a banquet feast where everything is provided for beyond what we could ask or imagine. This sense of, of where our identity comes from, uh, that it comes from a place of sitting and surrender and receiving, it pushes against two really powerful forces in our lives, that of our pride uh, and that of our culture, both of which would like to say that we are far more in charge of our identity than what Paul is saying here in Ephesians. Right? We can uh, find it... We, we, we want to be more responsible 
for who we are. We want to be able to decide who we are, right? I got, no one can tell me who I am. I'm my own person. Our pride comes in, our culture comes in, and that's the, that's the primary message. Um, you're, you, you are unique, but you know, there's a way that our culture says it. There's a way that our pride says it that's beyond just a unique creation of God. It's a self-determined, self-made. But we say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not self-made. Um, and, and to begin with, I have to acknowledge that. I have to simply sit and receive my identity from Christ. I receive it like a gift. Uh, I worked with a pastor for a while who every time I would see him and I just would kind of make conversation and say, how are you? You know, in, that, in the way that you do when you're passing someone in the hallway. Uh, and he would always answer, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Uh, and I loved that. It, it became this kind of, you know, little this banter back and forth. And I, I, I grew to really... Uh, anticipate and, and love that response to that question. But I thought about it. I'm like, that's actually not an answer to how are you? That's an answer to who are you? Yeah, right? That's an identity statement. Who are you? I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I think in that, always answering that question that way, he was reminding himself and me of his identity, of his core identity, who he was. How would you answer that question? Who are you? Who are you? There are a lot of voices coming at you that would like to answer that question for you, right? Voices from your work that would like to define you by your work, that would like to tell you this is primarily who you are or who you aren't. Uh, voices from your family, right? That, that uh, your role in your family uh, can become your primary identity. And these, these are good things. Like family and work, these are great things. These are gifts from God. But uh, as with many things in life, when they become our identity, right, when they become our core, the core way that we answer who we are, um, well, then that's when things start to go off the rails, right? That's when we start to, to worship things that are, are not God. Right? Does your identity come from the fact that you're a pastor of a church? I got to ask that one a lot, uh, right? What, what, where does my worth and value come from? Does it come from uh, being able to grow the church to a certain mythical number of members, right? Or when people leave the church, what does that say about my identity? What does that say about who I am? All of us have many different voices feeding into us, uh, trying to convince us of who we are. And Paul says, you just need to sit because you are seated with God, with Christ in the heavenly realms. Your identity is hidden in Christ. And nothing can shake it. Nothing can shake it. As I said, we are, we're going to start to look next week at, well then, okay, what does this mean lived out? Right? What's the practical implications of this? In, in all of these areas, right? In our work and in our family. Those are two big parts of all of our lives. Uh, what does it mean to live out of this sense of my identity being in Christ? Uh, in my work, in my family, in my, in my relationships, as I walk through this world. We're going to get to that. Primarily, we're going to join Paul in simply marveling 
at this wonderful thing that God has done for us in giving us a new identity in Christ. But there is, inherent in this passage, there is a bit of a practical application. And it's right there at the end uh, when Paul just sort of bursts into praise and he says, now to him who is able to do far exceedingly more, one one translation has it super abundantly. This is one of those words where Paul just like adds a bunch of modifiers on front of, in the front of a Greek word. Super abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all time. Inherent in there is an invitation to imagine and to ask. Right? This is, this is, this is what we do, being people who are rooted in Christ, who have a confidence that we can come before God, that he actually delights to answer prayer, that he invites us to come to him, and he wants to answer our prayers. And he wants to answer big prayers because he's able to do far exceedingly, super abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. There is a way to misinterpret this as an invitation to pray for as many jet skis as will fit into your four-car garage. That is not what Paul is saying, <laughs> right? That, is, uh, that comes out of a place of being rooted and established in greed or being rooted and established in me. But if we are rooted and established in love, if our relationship with Christ is at the center, then it's out of that place that we can start to ask and let our trusting that the Spirit is giving life to our imagination. We can start to imagine big things right? Big things, and that we can ask God for them. There's a hymn by John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. This is a lesser known hymn of his, but it's called Thou Art Coming to a King. And the second verse says this, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. The invitation in these first three chapters of Ephesians is to root yourself in love, to root yourself in Christ. It's almost even hard to say specifically what that means. It's it's an invitation to surrender. It's an invitation to accept and receive God's love. I don't know that I can give you six steps to do that, other than just to say that he loves you, his love surrounds you, his love holds you. And to pray with Paul that we can somehow grasp that love a little more deeply today. And as we do, know that we can come to God. Come to this God who who gives us our identity, who calls us his children. And to come with some big asks, right? Some big, some big, uh, big prayers. That's a, that's a wonderful challenge for us, I think. Uh, we're, we're entering, you know, many of you were around last week for the town hall meeting around the green bean, and I think as Summer and I have found ourselves talking about that, uh, 
every now and then there's a God-sized idea that pops up. And I think maybe that's what we need to be praying for, right? We need to be praying for, uh, for the medicine man building over there next to Windermere that's just kind of vacant right now. Uh, that that would be a place where we could join with some low-income housing people and build a five-story building, three of which will be low-income housing, two of which will be a worship, preschool, coffee shop, church space. Is that the God-sized dream? That, that's more God-sized than the other things I was thinking about. I can tell you that. <laughs> How does your imagination need to grow, need to expand? Because of your status as a child of God, as a beloved child of God, what would you ask? I'm going to create a little space for us to pray before we come to the table. And we challenge you to ask God to enliven your imagination, to help grow the things that you ask for. Um, and to continue to root and establish us in his love. That's my prayer. God, I think I first have to confess, Lord, that I am often rooted and established in me and in greed and in self. So forgive me, forgive us, and root us and establish us like that tree with roots that go deep down into your love. Holy Spirit, bring to life our imaginations and give us a confidence and a boldness to ask for God-sized, God-sized prayers. for real deep healing where there has been hurt. For a restored relationship that seems beyond hope. For hope for ourselves when we seem beyond hope. We ask all of this in the name of the one who on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread like this and he broke it. He gave thanks. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. A new covenant, a new identity. Friends, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Tammy's going to help me serve. These are for all who put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus, all who get their identity from him. Come, rip off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. 
have your imagination stirred by the Spirit this morning.